Tonight we continue where we left off in our discipleship journey. On uh, we took on the the uh, forgiveness and and uh, for the last couple of weeks there, uh, moving forward into reconciliation, which we'll pick uh, the second part tonight regarding that. Um, reconciliation is that removing of all the hindrances that would be in the way of unity within the body of Christ, within unity, but not also not only unity, but whatever hindrances that cause a lack of peace within the unity of the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. They need to be reconciled. They need to be removed. They need to get removed, those hindrances. And so tonight, as we talk about reconciliation that needs to take place in your life or those you're discipling, um, you want to encourage them to reconcile and uh, in regards to the relationships that might be hindering unity and peace within the body of Christ and within your life. Now, I should have just had, you know, Mark continue to, the teaching tonight because he, he took one of the key verses uh, that I want to reference tonight. So I'll just keep referring back to, to the to <laughs> Hebrews, uh, but also... Uh, many of the other scriptures he was kind of in his prayer, weaved into his prayer and, and read. So, uh, but we want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. I will, at least, I will read that one for you, uh, besides the Philippians 3 that he read. And it's, uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So here we see the asking of forgiveness from others is a very scriptural, biblical thing you must learn as a Christian, and you must be teaching those who you're discipling. It's a scriptural matter involving acknowledging that you have sinned against someone. And if you have sinned against someone or against them, that you have this desire of of mercy and, and pardon, not to be not to have them be who you sinned against to come against you and actually pay you the price that you should be receiving because of the sin that you deserve. But no, you desire mercy and you desire pardon from that person or from those people you sinned against. That's acknowledging, that's a forgiveness, acknowledging and we're looking for reconciliation so that you are, uh, are spared uh, the consequences for that sin upon that person or group that you may have uh, put upon. And asking for forgiveness is vital for reconciliation and may lead to a difference in a relationship that you have right now that you're dealing with. It can result in the fact that you've asked for forgiveness, you've started taking the steps necessary for reconciliation with that person, and it can bring about a different relationship of complete restoration of that relationship that might be completely divided or, or just having some conflict in unity and in peace within that fellow, that relationship that you have. Now, there's very specific biblical actions you must take 
So this is not just to sit back and I will see how this is all going to work out, but you need to actually take steps in reconciliation and as part of your journey as a Christian. Now, repentance is the changing of your mindset or the changing uh, from a mindset of pleasing self in that situation. I want what I want to have happen in that situation. I want to be happy in that situation. I want to go my way in that situation and move it from that kind of a mindset to saying, God, what will please you in this situation and relationship? Not what I want will please me, but what will please you, God, in regards to that repentance and that will bring pleasing to you, oh my God, and which is then followed by a corresponding biblical change in your life. There's one thing that says, I repent of doing that. I don't want any more. I want to please myself in that way. I want to please God. But then you have to make a change. Repentance is a change, a change the way you just don't say it. You must actually follow through with doing it. Now, biblical repentance results in a change from disobedience to biblical obedience behavior. We see Matthew uh, 3.8. We can see uh, Acts 26.20. I'll read that one for you. But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting of repentance. Matthew 3.8, of course, is therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance. There should be some results that you can actually see a change in heart, a change in behavior. Their the actions line up with their words and what they say their heart has been changed too. So biblical repentance results in a change from disobedience to biblical obedience. Romans 14, 19 says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. In relationships, we should be looking to edify other people, not just to edify yourself. That should not be happening. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. That's not a, I'll think about it, you must do. It's a a commandment. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So do you want reconciliation in your relationships? Then you must change. You can't change another person, but you must first change. And then when you change, you will have those tender mercies toward them, kindness toward them, humility toward them, meekness toward them, long-suffering. You'll be bearing with one another. You, people sometimes are very difficult to live with or live near or uh, inter- work with side by side. But that doesn't change our responsibilities as a Christian of how we respond and deal with and work with these people. It could be in the family members or it could be outside the family member. Now, we also see that biblical repentance acknowledges sin. 
If you are having biblical repentance, true biblical repentance, you will acknowledge the sin and takes personal responsibility for it. You will not shift your responsibility to someone else. We see that in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to just and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no, not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 are very important verses you must, 8 through 10 as we just read, but 9 and 10 especially. Also, biblical repentance results from a, from a sorrow for sins committed against God and others. There should be a godly sorrow for recognizing that you're a sinner who's sinning against God and you're sinning against others, and that should bring sorrow to your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, because many people are sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You hear... The, the, you know, the wind is, oh, I'm sorry, the wind's, the wind's blowing out. I mean, there's a lot of people use the word and made sorry, but that your sorrow lead to repentance. The question is, will it change your life? The sorry must bring a sorrow that changes a life in, in someone's life and not just be words. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So it's important that we understand that this is a godly sorrow that should result in a changed life. We also know biblical repentance results in a broken or sorrowful for the sin and a certain type of heart. Do you know what kind of heart that is? A contrite heart. A contrite heart is completely putting away or a crushedness or crushing any previous reliance on self. The contrite heart must have, I am not relying upon my heart though any longer. I am going to completely get away from relying upon this selfish heart that I have. James 4 Verses 8 through 10 speaks to this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That is a contrite heart, one that I no longer want to deal with this selfishness in my life. I want to be broken and I want to change. Also, we see biblical repentance is removes a reminds of past sins, since these reminders themselves often produce temptation to sin. So re biblical repentance, we must not... Uh, dwell on the past sins because if you dwell on your past sins it can as the scriptures we will have seen or do see that bring back reminders and often become temptations to you to go back to the old sin because you ponder on that go back and you can look at first kings 15 12 or acts 19 
8 through 19, especially 18 and 19. So that's repentance, biblical repentance. That must take place if reconciliation and relationships are going to take place. We also see confession must be in there. We must confess, we must agree with God about sins that have committed against him and against others and with a commitment to forsake those sins. That's part of what confession is. Confession is good for the soul. Why? Because you're confessing that you are in agreement that your sin is not in line with God's uh, word. It doesn't please him. You know it goes against him and you're confessing it and you want to change. You want to know. You want to no longer go against God or others, but we want to forsake those sins in our life. You and I are to confess sins to God in all aspects of thought. Every type of thought we should be confessing to God. Every word that comes out of our mouth that goes against God, it does not please God, it goes against even others. We must be confessing those things and our actions. Again, 1 John 1.9 is such an important, if we confess our sins, we must. We also need to confess sins to those against whom you have sinned. When you've sinned against someone, you must confess, I'm sorry, I have sinned against you. I know that was wrong, it's not good. James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So we must understand there is a confession that we may need to make if we sinned against someone. When we're confessing sins you have committed against another, we must deal with those and deal with those swiftly. There's a couple of things you have to remind yourselves that we do not accuse the person that you're confessing to. You've sinned against them, but you don't turn around and say, I know I I did that against you, but you're not to accuse or judge him or bring up his failures in the process. Let me give you the statement. Please forgive me for slamming the door in your face. That's a confession. Please forgive me for slamming that door in your face. What you don't say is please forgive me for slamming the door in your face when you called me stupid. That's, that's where you're not to do. You're not to justify and judge why and justify of why you shut the door in the person's face. Just confess your part. The other person needs to confess, I'm sorry, I, I apologize, I feel really bad that I actually called you stupid. They should be doing that, but you don't call them out on it. You just call them out of what you did, your part. You also do not accuse the other person in the process of confessing something. For example, please forgive me for using bad language and unwholesome words. Please forgive me. What you don't say is, please forgive me for my use of bad language, but today is just not a good day for me. Again, you're justifying why you are, actually did something you should not have done. We must not go down that path. Just acknowledge and ask for the forgiveness and confess the things that you've done wrong. Don't try to excuse it. 
Don't try to shift blame on it, to try to justify it. That should not be happening. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. Romans 2.1, therefore, you are inexcusable, inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. So people who are judging others typically are doing the same things. A third thing you must not do when you're confessing to another person that you've sinned against, you do not stop at merely expressing your feelings by saying, I'm sorry. By just saying, I'm sorry. I just feel sorrow, the fact that I did what I did. It doesn't express the reconciliation of why you're sorry. You, shouldn't, you should say, I'm sorry, please forgive me for sinning against you when I yelled at you and called you names. That is what you're trying to do. You're trying to acknowledge and reconcile because you want the other person to know why you're sorry or sorrowful or what you're confessing about that you want to have clarity of why you're doing that. So there's clarity and understanding why you know what you've done is wrong. Ephesians 4.15 Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We must speak truth in love when we confess. It's not only repentance, it's not only confession, but we also need restitution when it comes to reconciliation. Restitution. Restitution is restoring or compensating for the damage your sin has caused another. Biblical restitution should be made whenever possible. We see in uh, Proverbs 6, verses 30 and 31, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet, he is, yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. So there's restitution for the stealing and, and what, of what that theft or the thief had done. It must be reconciled. But there's also needs to be needs not only to repent. I won't, I'm not going to steal anymore. There's got to be confession. I've stolen. I've, I have. I, yes, he could say I've stolen because I'm starving because I, I I don't have any food and I'm 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 poor. Again, justifying. But he's got to uh, to do restoration. And in the in the scriptures we see back then it was sevenfold restoration. It may cost him everything. His whole household. But then there's some restoration in the case of adultery. Forgiveness is available from the Lord for that adultery. And it may grant by those who sinned against, they may grant you forgiveness and, and, and do that. But restitution is not possible to restore that. How do you pay back for your adultery? You can't do that. Now, those who are not a Christian and those who live by the flesh, many times I have seen where they said, 
uh, yes, my husband had an affair, uh, uh, an affair, so I went out and I had an affair against him as well. Like that was some kind of restitution. That's not right. That's unbiblical, unjustifiable for you to go and sin just because your husband sinned. It shouldn't happen. Also, biblical restoration is to be made to those against whom you have sinned. We see Luke 19, Luke 19, verse 8 to 9, but I'll read verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore fourfold. Again, he's confessing, in this case, Zacchaeus is confessing, he did steal, he did take, and he is, there's truly a repentance, a truly confession to the Lord, and the restoration was, we just saw in the scriptures, fourfold. For things that he didn't even know he probably he took that he wasn't even sure about from uh, false accusations. And since the goal of biblical restitution is to be at peace with one another, you are not to attempt to buy back that relationship or manipulate the other person to respond in a way that you desire. Sometimes... I repent, I, I confess, I, I, this was wrong, and I, what can I do? Can I, I, can I give you something to try to get you to not uh, file the case against me with the police? You want to buy back or manipulate someone through restoration. If you don't say anything, if you don't do anything, I will do this for you. That's not biblical restoration. So don't try to manipulate or buy back. If you would forgive me, sweetheart, I will buy you roses every week and I will give you the diamond and I will take you on trips. I'll do whatever. You can't buy back. There's no buying back. There's no manipulation to restore that relationship. Now, the importance of reconciliation Putting away enmity, putting away this evilness, this, this to establish and restore a relationship and unity and peace. It can only begin with being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ first. You must be reconciled to God because you have to recognize you sinned against him first. Before that person. Romans chapter 5. Verses 10-11, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You must get your life right with Jesus first. Before you think you're going to be able to restore in unity and peace reconciliation with the other person. The ministry and the message of reconciliation between God and mankind is a responsibility and a privilege but has, that has been entrusted to you and I. We see that in 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Biblical reconciliation with others is important and it must be done before your worship and service to the Lord. 
You are not able to, it's not fitting to worship God and serve the Lord unless you have sought reconciliation with him and with others who are in, uh, you cause division in regards to that unity and peace that we were talking about. And again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 talks about that. Now, what causes some hindrances in your ability to, in reconciliation? What are some of the hindrances? Well, the first one is in the, in the inadequate understanding, first of all, or the lack of biblical forgiveness and how you go about that on part of another person and how that other person may impede reconciliation. The first one is that one the one you have offended may minimize the manner in regards to you trying to reconcile with them. You've sinned against them. You come to them and say, I have sinned against you. I am sorry. I apologize. Please forgive me. And their response to you is not helpful. That response is, oh, that's all right. That's all right. It doesn't matter. That person is hindering your ability to reconcile and to follow through with what you're to do in God's eyes. That's why we have to be very careful when someone comes to you and clearly has sinned against you and you say, oh, that's okay, that's okay, because you don't want to deal with the conflict or you don't want to deal with the issue, even though that's most important for that person to be able to reconcile with God and do what is biblical right, which is to reconcile with you to bring back unity and peace. But if you sit there and just call it off and not allow that to take place, that's going to be a hindrance to that person to be reconciled with you. James 4.17 says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So it's not only is the person comes to you to confess and you say, Oh, that's okay, that's okay, well, let's not talk about it. And he goes, Okay, that's fine. No, he needs to know what is good and right. He needs to confess. He needs to, to make that right with you because he sinned against you. You need to allow that person to do that. If they will let you. You must assure him, that person you're confessing to, you must assure him that you want to reconcile with him completely. You don't want to walk away from that and say, oh, and someone says, well, did you go confess that? Well, I tried, but they said, it, 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 no big deal. It's, it's, no, it's no big matter. Let's just not talk about it. And, and the person's like, wait a minute. You're supposed to reconcile completely with that person. You got reconciliation? You have unity? Do you have forgiveness? I don't know. They just said, don't let's not talk about it. It's got to be followed through. You are to emphasize to that person you do not wish to ignore or minimize your failure or intend to change. Your intention is to change your ways. You do not want to continue to do what you've been doing. You want to live God's way and you want that person to know that. The second hindrance is that one offended may not forgive you. You come to confess that person, I, for, I, please, I want to ask for your forgiveness, I'm sorry what I've done, and I said I, that was not right, and the person says, I am not forgiving you. I am so angry, I'm so mad, I can never forgive you. Well, that hinders the reconciliation, the unity, and the peace, because you've done your part, but that person now is a Christian, if you're talking to another Christian, they have a responsibility to what? We just spent last week and the week before talking about forgiveness. 
You're supposed to forgive another person because you've been forgiven much by God. You must remember you are the only responsible, obviously, to do your part and ask for forgiveness based on what God instructs you to do. The other person's responsible between him and God how they respond back to you. And if they're not willing to forgive, that's between them and God. God will work that out in their lives because they're not doing it biblically. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So important that you take that step. Oh, I wonder what that person's going to say to me. It doesn't matter. You must ask for forgiveness and let them know that you're taking full responsibility for what you did and you're asking for that forgiveness to reconcile that relationship with that person. And it's up to that person to now how they're going to respond. That's up to them. Now, seeking to be reconciled and at peace with another, assure him that you really do desire the forgiveness from that person. And that you intend to change. That you do not want to do that again. And you need to tell them there's very specific steps you're taking to make that change. I want to do things differently. I want to be held accountable to that change. And I will demonstrate that Christ-likeness, that biblical change in my life. Um, and it will come about because of God's grace and mercy. Now, sometimes waiting for another to initiate and demonstrate forgiveness delays reconciliation. Regardless of who thinks they're at fault, he's at fault, no, she's at fault, and there's always that times where people think the other person's at fault, and it causes the separation and no one taking responsibility and being obedient believer to begin the process of reconciliation. And sometimes maybe the situation is that you needed there to be a cool down period. There must be something to cool down and get their, you know, your self-control down and let the Lord come and you speak to your heart stuff. But as soon as possible, don't be pointing fingers and fall. That person should be talking to me first and forgive, ask for forgiveness before I'm going to do it. No, just ask for forgiveness of your part, your section of what you're responsible for. Even if it's that 5 10%. Confess and ask for reconciliation and forgiveness for that 5-10% of the problem you you're at. Regardless of how they see their 80-90%. to 90%. Another hindrance can be an unscriptural demand for sinlessness. Or perfection from another person. That will restrict reconciliation. I forgive you as long as you never, ever, 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 there's a sinless, you never sin again, you've never caused any problems, you'll, you have to be perfect in everything, and I'm going to watch you like a hawk, and I don't care what little thing you do, I'm going to look and judge you based on that. If you're looking for that, you'll never get reconciliation. There'll always be this disunity and, and lack of peace in that relationship. If forgiveness by a professing believer is sought and granted, yet the one seeking forgiveness persists in sinful behavior, 
it will be necessary to apply biblical discipline prayerfully and in the spirit of gentleness. I ask for forgiveness and they keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and it doesn't seem to be, they're not taking steps of recon, you know, repentance and there's no confession, they're not taking ownership, they're, not, they're just, these are just words they're using. And then the discipline comes that biblical discipline according to what the scripture says how to handle that. Another um, hindrance could be reconciliation with a person who has sinned and is not possible when the person will not respond with true repentance or confession or restitution. It's just words that they're using, as I mentioned. They, and it can be an employing, employer relationship. You're working for someone. That person sins, a, sins by doing something that's not right at work and they get caught and the boss calls them out on it. Oh! I, forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. I, that, that doesn't, there's no excuse. Okay. Because of that, you're not able to do this project anymore. We're going to just move you over here and we're going to watch you a little bit. Okay, that's fine. I, I, I deserve it. Okay. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks down, all of a sudden they, they do something that or even worse. And the boss catches them and comes, hey, you said that you weren't going to take the stuff on the job, but... I, 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 we have witnesses, I have two or more witnesses, I see, you, you said you weren't going to steal from the job anymore. I, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. But see, what happens is the boss needs to actually reconcile to try to that relationship, but he has to follow through with the consequences for this person continuing to steal. And now say, wait, you're not in charge of anything, I'm going to take your supervisor position away, you're, you're going to be just a worker over here. But then again, a third time, the person does it again, find, catches stealing stuff or doing something. And again, now this supervisor's telling the bosses and the management is getting involved now and there's documentation going on and now reports that, you know, what needs to happen and possibly lose their job. Or, you know, they have to pay back everything that they've taken and all these other things. They might be going to jail, whatever the consequences and the seriousness of that. Again, there's levels of consequences and reconciliation that has to happen and also paying back for what he, or he did. Now, that's reconciliation. I'm just going to take a few more minutes and I'm going to now bring back to some things that I need to make sure we cover from forgiveness that will help in the reconciliation. And so there's some questions that come up in regards to how do you handle biblical forgiveness. Now we see here in Proverbs 21.30, there is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. Why do I say that? There's a viewpoint that is not supported by the scripture and it is not from God and must be disregarded. What is that? Well, God's plan of forgiveness is stated clearly in the scripture. Man's humanistic wisdom, leaning on his own understanding, has introduced this confusion of how to deal with things from a forgiveness perspective. And is to protect yourself from accepting and believing the erroneous teachings from about forgiveness. Now, some of that, and I'll give you one key thing here 
tonight and it'll, it'll click for you what I mean. There's an erroneous teaching out there that says if it, for you to be able to forgive, you, must, uh, you need to forgive yourself first. I can't forgive, God can't forgive me until I forgive myself first. I can't forgive that person until I forgive myself first. There's this, this, this bad teaching out there in the psycho world that says you must forgive yourself be able to, before you can forgive anyone else or have reconciliation. So man's wisdom often teaches that forgiving self is a prerequisition for experiencing peace and joy. So you're sitting down and you're sitting there and you're discipling someone. And you're sitting there talking through and you say, I'm not experiencing the joy and peace like you're talking about that has in a relationship with God. And you're talking through and you're just, just all of a sudden they say, well, I haven't been able to forgive myself. That's why I don't have peace and joy. And until I forgive myself, I will never have the peace and joy of God. Now, forgiving self is usually heard in a statement such as, I just can't forgive myself for what I have done. Very common statement from those coming back for more. I cannot forgive myself. And I've watched here, even in this ministry, for guys coming back from the war, and they are absolutely mentally and spiritually ravaged, even physically, because they've seen and they've had to do and follow through with war. And that has caused them to think in a way that is not biblically sound. Because they said, or they think in their own wisdom, that they must cannot ever forgive and God would never forgive me for what I have done or have seen. And I must learn to forgive myself to get rid of my guilt. And even solid believers may have that kind of thinking. And I have such guilt for doing what I've done. I, 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 I've got to learn to forgive myself before I can do that. Or now that God has forgiven me, I need to forgive myself. That's another statement that many will say. Any teaching that emphasizes a need to forgive yourself is trusting and exalting self. Instead of relying solely on God's promises and provision for total and complete forgiveness. That's as simple as I can put it to you, my brothers and sisters. God has completely forgiven you. And his promise and his provision is 100%. There are no ands or buts attached to it. You're not forgiven by God 100% until you first forgive yourself. That's not biblical. You're not focused on self. You're trying to die of self. If you believe that it is necessary to forgive yourself in addition to receiving God's forgiveness for your sins, you indicate that God's plan of forgiveness for salvation and his plan for of forgiveness for your continued daily cleansings are not adequate. You don't fully understand God's promise of forgiveness. 
And we must, you must grow. And that's why you're listening to this. This is part of the discipleship journey is to help you or help you help other people in regards to this forgiveness in their lives. And we must remember some things. First of all, receiving God's forgiveness is not a matter of feeling forgiven. I don't feel forgiven. It doesn't matter what you're feeling. God's promise is not based on your feelings. It is a matter of trusting God in his promises. Completely trusting by faith. That's faith. Trust God's promises. When you plopped yourself down in that pew or that little lazy chair back home, you didn't sit there and say, will this support me? No, you just plopped your little behind right in that chair. You put 100% trust in that chair that you were about to sit in. It didn't give a second thought. That's what it means to completely fall into the arms and the trust and the promises of God. That you've been forgiven. And since God says there is no condemnation, there is no guilt, complete forgiveness... For you in Christ Jesus, then it is true regardless of your feelings. Romans 8.1 The third is that God says that he forgives you and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Again, 1 John 1.9 And there is absolutely nothing you can or need to do to complete his work of forgiveness in your life. To experience that joy and the peace that God wants to give you. The fourth is the need to forgive yourself. That need, I need to forgive myself. You have the sense of guilt concerning past sins. And since guilt is the result of sin... You are to repent and confess your sins to the Lord. 1 John 1, 9. And confess to others at the appropriate time to reconcile. That, and by starting that confession to the other person, what have you done against them? And that subsequent steps of repentance should include that complete cooperation with God and renewing of your mind. So for you to be able to move on in that relationship to discipleship journey, we talked to about it in the previous discipleship steps that you needed to take. And that is the reading and the studying of the word of God, because the word of God will renew your mind. So many people can repented and confessed and they're trying to reconciliation they're trying to pay back they're trying to make things right and have unity and joy and peace but they're just guilt-ridden the whole time doing it because their mind hasn't been transformed based on the reading of the word of God and the promises of God and how he sees that sin from now on the renewing of your mind is so so important and instead of thinking you need to forgive yourself, in addition to receiving God's forgiveness, you should forget what lies behind, 
reach forward to what lies ahead of you and press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Mark read that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. And then there's forgiving self. The forgiving of self. You need to forgive yourself. You see it in, in many different psychological social worker, church teachings that's not biblical because forgiving self has no biblical support whatsoever. Scripture has only two perspectives on forgiveness. Just two. One, you can and need to be forgiven by God. When it comes to forgiveness, the first one is you can and need to be forgiven by God. And the second one, you are wholeheartedly to forgive others following the example of God's forgiveness to you. You're unable to forgive and to truly get reconciliation and forgiveness from someone if you have not gotten right with God first. You don't have the capacity, the capability. Prior to your spiritual new birth, living in the old self, living in the flesh, it was impossible for you to forgive sincerely because, because you are apart from Christ. You could not understand the things of God. You just could not. 1 Corinthians 2.14 talks about that. You, can, you did not understand these things of God of when it comes to forgiveness. In 2, you were powerless to obey him, Romans 8.7. You did not have the power of God living within you and the, Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to truly, biblically, spiritually forgive sincerely to another person. And thirdly, you... You could not conform to something of new. You couldn't change your life. You couldn't become a different person. You could do nothing about it and had not experienced and had not even experienced yourself in Ephesians 4.32. You cannot conform to something new unless you've made been made new. Because you didn't understand forgiveness in the old flesh. Truly, sincerely, you had not experienced forgiveness. It's hard to forgive someone else if you haven't been experienced forgiveness from God. And so it's very important receiving God's forgiveness. And then after that, Allow that forgiveness that you've experienced from God. Let God then work through your life to help you forgive others. Forgiving self is just bringing yourself back to what God has done and he's forgiven you. Don't, don't say, I, I need to forgive myself all these years as a Christian and never experience the joy and peace because you keep using that as a way to justify 
You're not growing. You're not discipling up. You're not maturing in your faith. You're just stuck in the past. You're not pressing onward. You're not pressing forward with what God wants to do in and through your life as a new, as a, a new birth. And the inheritance in Christ that you have received, your heavenly inheritance depends only on God's purpose and mercy and grace and you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That is what you must hold on to as you move forward in your life as a Christian and in your relationships not only with God, but with others. We must grow. You must mature. And as a disciple on your journey, may you hold on to these many truths. And as you study the word, may God continue to reveal many, many other scriptures to you in regards to forgiveness and reconciliation.